0: Every gift, every good and perfect thing is from God. He is the source of all truth, beauty, and blessing, wherever they are found. And when we really start to look through the lens of gratitude, we see these gifts everywhere, all the time. So, in this season of Advent, let us see receive, and respond to the gifts of the season, the gifts Jesus still offers, light, joy, freedom, and peace. Well, good morning, Element. It is truly a joy to be with you this morning and to see your faces And to be together as we lean into the Christmas season. And hopefully we're all feeling a little bit of joy this morning as we sing out those songs and we take a minute to rejoice, right? And so we are going to talk today about joy. And I will tell you, this message felt like a little bit of a challenge. It did, because this year has been pretty hard. And the band was talking before. That we, we started the gathering this morning and we're like, yeah, you know, that might be the hardest one to like latch onto this year of all of these things like, oh, we can feel peace and we know we're, we're going to have freedom and we have hope and we have all these things, but like joy, hmm, it feels a little, it feels a little challenging for a lot of us for a lot of reasons. And so I think that means that this message is really important. It's really important. So let's all lean in and think about it together today. So we're going to look at our memory verse to begin this morning because that's where all of this series starts. So kids, you should have it on your handouts. You can write in the words. And let's all say this together in James 1.17. Let's say it together. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows who does not change like shifting shadows. Every gift is from the Father. And that's what we're talking about in this series, right? All of these things in the prophecy of Isaiah that the the prophet was saying would come to pass when Jesus came to this earth, right? And we're especially looking at light and joy and freedom and peace. And so if you missed Benjamin's message last week about light, I would definitely recommend that you take a listen because there's a lot of good and beautiful things that we really need to like anchor onto right now, okay? But today we're gonna talk about joy. Now, Christmas is always the time of year that we talk about joy, right? That's the thing that you do at Christmas, you talk about joy. But like I said, I think this year it's a little bit more important than ever. But it's easy to think about joy at Christmas time because there's a lot of joyful, fun things, right? We got presents, we got We got candy, we got cookies, we got songs, we got all the things. And I was trying to think um, in my childhood of, like, the most joyful thing that I used to remember at Christmas time. And, like, I loved all those normal Christmas things, but what I remember, honestly, most of all, and maybe it's just because I definitely can't do it anymore living in Florida, but what I remember is the sledding that we would do every year with my dad. Now, we would do it more than just around Christmas time, but like, especially on Christmas break, like, that's the thing that our family was going to do. We were going to go out, and we were going to go sledding. Now, I feel like maybe I can tell this crowd some things about sledding because you guys might... How many of you guys have been sledding in your life? All right, we got a few. We got a Michigan family here on the front row. <laughs> Stella, have you been sledding? Oh, okay. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to tell you a little bit about sledding because there is a reason I'm going to tell you this, Okay. Sledding was really fun, and it brought us a lot of joy, but let me tell you, sledding is a lot of work, okay, and it reminds me of how much we as humans choose to, like, pursue joy, like, choose to do the work to find joy, because joy is worth it, right? So, I remember my brother and I as kids, like, when you were going to go out and go sledding, you didn't just, like, walk out the door and go, right? Like our children in Florida do today, if they wanna go outside and play, they just go out. My kids go out and they don't even take their shoes with them because that's just how they live. But in Michigan, if you're gonna go out sledding, you could not just go out the door, right? You had to put on your long underwear under your clothes, right, so that was like a whole layer of clothing. Then your clothes. Then your outer garments, which were, I mean, it was like a 20-minute process to get dressed, okay, because you had to have the extra socks and the boots and the snow pants, which were like the things that come up and over, and the jacket and the hat and the scarf and the mitten and the gloves and all the things, right? The face mask, you definitely had to have the face mask in Michigan because it was like zero degrees, okay? So you would like bundle yourself, a 20-minute effort, right, and then we'd have to convince our dad to go because the only good sledding hill was like a bit of a walk, right? It was a bit of a, a trek to get out to this sledding hill. And I was trying to figure out how like long this sledding hill was. I'm not going to say it was as long as a football field. That might be a little bit of exaggeration, but it was probably that close to that long. Like it was a large, perfectly sloped hill, OK? So we would trudge out there, carry our sleds, walk all the way out there with our dad, and we'd be ready to go. So you get the sled, and you had to get like a kind of a running start, right? and you like run and you jump on the sled and you start going and you'd go, I mean maybe like a foot, maybe a foot down the hill, right? Because the first time you go down a hill you have to pack the snow down. You don't just go, you can't just sled down the hill. So you run and you jump and you you go like a foot and then you sit there and then my brother and I would get on the sled together and we would just scooch, scooch our way down the entire football field of a hill so that we could pack the snow down, right? So then you get down to the bottom of the hill and that was not fun the first time, right? But then you have to trudge all the way back up the hill, which is, in your snow gear, quite an effort, right? So you get all the way back to the top of the hill, and you have to do this routine like three or four times before you really have the sledding like, ready to go, right? And by that time, you're pretty exhausted. Like, if there wasn't a joyful moment about to happen, you'd basically pack it up and go back inside. But you know that the joy is coming. So finally, you get it packed down long enough, and you come back up the hill, and then you're ready to go. And I am telling you, my brother and I would make my dad be out there for hours and hours going up and down this hill. And there was actually a pond at the bottom of the hill. And at the times when we, like, really got the the sledding perfect, we would get all the way to the ice of the pond, which was probably pretty dangerous, but we thought it was pretty awesome. (laughs) Okay. So then... This was joy like we were experiencing true and total joy flying down this hill as fast as we could even though it took so much preparation it took so much effort and we were so exhausted and then we would come back into the house and this your your sledding experience was not over when we came back to the house because then you had to dismantle all of the things that you had put on yourself and all the ice that was like attached to them with fall off on the floor. I can't imagine how much work my mother had to do to clean it all up. And then you'd be so cold that you would want to like warm yourself up, but you had to warm yourself up with cold water because hot water would be like burning to your skin. So you would like wash your hands in the cold water to try and get feeling back into them, right? And you know, in an hour or two, you'd feel back to normal. And this was the epic adventure of sledding. And I will tell you of all the glorious Christmas memories I have, that's the thing that I probably remember most of all because my brother and I had so much fun. But the reality is we also worked pretty hard. We worked pretty hard to seek after that joy because we knew what it would bring to us. We knew how we would feel in the joy of the sledding. So that's one of my stories about joy. But today we're gonna. And we're going to sit with this concept of joy for a little while because I think that we all need some space for our joy to grow. I know that I need some space for my joy to grow. And when I sat down to write this message, I, I prayed hard. I prayed hard for the Father to increase that space in me. And so we're going to look at this prophecy of Isaiah um, in chapter 9, verse 3. And here's the portion about joy. He writes, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Now, clearly the theme of this verse is joy, right? What experiences of joy do we see in this verse? We see basically three, three things that they're rejoicing about, okay? They're rejoicing that the nation is enlarged. They're rejoicing at the bountiful harvest, And they're rejoicing at warriors dividing plunder. Now, those might not sound like the most radical expressions of joy to us. But this is what the prophet Isaiah used to inspire the people to look to the Messiah and to imagine what joy would come when he comes. So I think it's important that we think about why he chose these things, okay? If we think about the historical context of the moment, we can realize why these things were so Important to the people. First of all, enlarging the nation. This was at a time in human history where that was paramount. The whole human race was focused on expansion and multiplying, right? And so to think that their nation was being enlarged, whether by, by a battle victory or whether by their people having more babies, whatever it was, the enlarging of a nation was a, a good and perfect gift, and it was something they celebrated in a huge, huge way because that was what they were focused on at the time. And then, a bountiful harvest. A bountiful harvest meant everything to the, to the Israelite people because they could only eat if they had a successful harvest. So we can relate to that in like, yeah, food is good, I like to eat delicious food, but we probably can't relate to it in that if we don't have a bountiful harvest, our children might starve, right? So imagine that the rejoicing that would come from a bountiful harvest, and then Warriors dividing plunder. Now, this one's a little bit harder for us to connect with, right? But the reality is these warriors celebrated the wealth and the land and the provision because they had won a victory. They had won a victory. Now, remember that because we're going to come back to it in a few minutes, okay? So... We can see, as we look at these things, the enlarging of the nation and the bountiful harvest and the warriors dividing the plunder, we can see that Isaiah is trying to connect with these people and and invite them to imagine the joy of a Messiah coming. And he's saying it will feel like this. It will feel like your nation has expanded and your harvest is plentiful and that you have won. You have won a victory, right? And that the Messiah will bring deep and full joy. Now, we can connect with those things intellectually as we think about them historically, right? But that might not inspire us to feel our own anticipation of Jesus. So today, for the rest of our message, we're going to think about some things that bring us joy in ways that we can really connect with. And my invitation is that as we do, we imagine all of these things culminating together in Jesus because he is The bringer of joy. So let's think of what kind of joy is there, all right? The first thing I think of when I think of joy is joy in good and beautiful things, right? Of course, that's maybe the most obvious source of joy. It's it's certainly one that is so, so, so important, right? And I think we can all think of good and beautiful things that God puts into our lives that bring us joy, Right? For me, I can think of so many. I, I think of my daughters laughing and playing together. That brings me joy every time. I think of eating delicious food that has been prepared with love. That is definitely a joyful experience for me. I think of reading words that have been written with eloquence and passion and wisdom, and oh, there's something so joyful about that experience to me. And I think of looking at the mountains, or the sunset, or the sea, and feeling joy in the creation, right? Being together with my family, being together in a present moment, right? Sharing a laugh over some ridiculous meme or video, that brings joy, right? Singing for me brings joy, horses bring joy, cold weather, Disney World, Star Trek, I could go on of all my lists of things that bring me joy. But you can probably think of your own list of things that bring you joy. Listen to this quote for a minute. Julian of Norwich said, The fullness of joy is to behold God in everything. The fullness of joy is to behold God in everything. And that is so true. That is so true and so possible, more than we might think. But the reason these sorts of things, these good things, bring us joy is because they reveal God to us because he is the giver of every good and perfect thing. Right? He's the source. So you can probably think of your own list of things that bring you joy. And today, I hope they can, and I hope that you do. I hope that you do. Because if we're gonna allow that space for joy to grow in us, we we need to make some conscious effort towards it, and we need to choose to think what are the good and beautiful things in my life right now, even in the midst of all this craziness, there are good and beautiful things to find. And if we look for them, our joy will rise. I saw Brett post on Facebook a few days ago to say, brag, brag about something good that you did in 2020. And I loved that post so much because, you know, there's a lot of not so great posts about 2020 out there right now, right? But this post had person after person after person after person sharing some wonderful celebration of something good that they have accomplished this year. And it was so encouraging to me to see that even through all of the craziness that we're going through as a country and as a world, there is good. There is good. So I encourage you guys to think about that today. But good and beautiful things are not the only places that we find joy. So let's think about joy in victory and triumph. Joy in victory and triumph. There is a specific sort of joy that is found in this place, okay? When you've fought a battle and you emerge victorious, it's not just the kind of joy of like, oh, that's a good thing. It's a joy of victory. It's a joy of overcoming, right? Franklin Roosevelt said, happiness lies in the joy of achievement in the thrill of creative effort. I love that. We humans are created to create. We're created to achieve. We're created to be beautiful things in this world. And when we do, when we fight a battle and win a victory in our own lives, there is joy in that victory, right? So when we think about Isaiah's prophecy, this is the sort of joy he was talking about the joy of increasing the nation and having the plentiful harvest and the warriors dividing the plunder, it's that joy of victory. It's that joy of saying, we have won. We have won. And that is a deep joy. And I would urge us for a moment to think about the victory that Christ promises us, promises us here in this life and promises us in the coming shalom because we're not probably going to be warring with the nations next to us personally, but we are going to have victory over guilt and shame and fear and depression and anxiety and so many pieces of brokenness. We will have that victory, and that will be a specific and beautiful kind of joy. That's the rejoicing that Isaiah was talking about, the taking back of our wholeness, right? Right? So that's another place we find joy, but it's not the only place. So let's think of another one. How about the joy of giving? The joy of giving. Christmas is a great time to think about that, right? And it's so true. It's so true, and I think sometimes, even when we're right in the midst of Christmas, we can forget to find joy in the giving, right? We can get a little too frenzied with our lists and our people, and we forget to find the joy. William Arthur Ward said, The momentary thrill of getting rarely equals the lasting joy of giving. And I was, I was thinking back about my Christmases and, like, can I remember some amazing gift that I got that, like, overshadows all the other gifts? And I, that could be the story I tell about this gift. And, like, I couldn't think of one. Not that I can't think of great gifts that I had gotten, but I couldn't think of one that connected with my joy. And then I started thinking about gifts that I've given and immediately I connected with my joy, right? Because that's truly where we find it. That's truly where we find it is in the giving. And it's not just gifts, of course. The giving of encouragement, the giving of support, the giving of provision, the giving of our presence. The giving of our presence brings joy, joy. And yet, it's not the only place Joy can also be found in love, in unconditional love, right? I think most of us, as we think for a moment about the joy we've experienced in our lives in all the different places, I think we could say that the joy that we felt in those moments of pure, unconditional love surpasses any other joy that we've ever felt, right? The love that I have as a mother and as a wife and as a friend and as an elementor, like that love, when I'm living in that space of unconditional love, it brings deep, deep joy. Mother Teresa said, a joyful heart is the normal result of a heart burning with love. A joyful heart is the normal result of a heart burning with love. And I love these words, and I love the depth of truth in them. Because if our hearts are focused on love, then our hearts will have joy. Those things are linked together. They're linked together, okay? But there are more places to find joy. So let's keep going. How about joy in light found in the dark places? Joy in light found in the dark places. Now this is getting to a place of deep joy getting there. And it's a place where some of us may not dare to go very often, right? Because it's hard to think of joy found in the darkness. But these are the places where God is waiting to bless us abundantly with the joy that he offers right now. It's one thing to look at a mountain or laugh at a funny joke or look at your children and feel joy. And that, that is good joy and it is good to feel it. But it's another thing. To experience a moment of joy when life is desperately dark. Right? Listen to this quote and let it sit with you for a minute. The secret to joy is to keep seeking God where we doubt he is. The secret to joy is to keep seeking God where we doubt he is. Can that be true? Is that a secret to joy? I think it is because when we do seek him where we doubt he is we find him we find him we find maybe not the fullness of everything we're hoping for but we find that pinprick of light we do and to perceive a light in the darkness brings deep deep abiding joy not that the light overshot, overcomes the darkness in that moment, but it's in the knowledge and the trust that the light can't be overcome by the darkness. That we are living in a story that is, is the one true narrative of redemption, right? And that brings us hope. It sparks joy. Now listen to this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, Joy must have the stab, the pang, the inconsolable longing. All joy reminds. It is never a possession, always a desire for something longer ago or further away or still about to be. It is at our darkest where we can most fully experience joy. It is. It's where joy can be most fully felt, is in the darkest places. Because it's that pang, it's that thought, that knowledge, that inconsolable hope that God will come for us, that God has come for us. And that is a joy beyond any joy of a mountaintop or a sunset or a sea, right? It's easy to find happiness when things are good. But it is by our choice to live in the one true narrative of redemption that we can experience joy when things are falling apart. So listen to this from First Peter. He says, So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show you that your faith is genuine It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him, even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. This is it, guys. This is what he's talking about. That's the kind of joy in the darkness where we we don't even see him, but we trust him. And in that is a glorious, inexpressible joy. It's the joy that doesn't even make sense, right? It's the joy that comes in the dark before the dawn, like Benjamin talked about last week. And it's the joy that we need right now, the end of 2020. This is the joy that we need, the pinprick of light in the darkness. Because what evidence do we have that next year will be different than this year? We don't, we don't have a lot of evidence for that, right? We don't know what's going to happen with economies or political things or pandemics. We don't know what's going to happen with schools or our jobs. We don't, we don't know what will happen in our own individual stories, but in that place where the external circumstances feel dark, but we can see the truth that light exists, that's joy, that pain, that inconsolable longing, the reminder of the reality that underscores this one, right? When Isaiah's prophecy begins, we're going to go back to last week's, verse for a minute because look at this he writes the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness a light has dawned and then he goes on to say you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy they rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder I think we can see that the most profound source of joy in this passage isn't necessarily the victories that are won, although that is beautiful and wonderful, and they are rejoicing over those things. But the the biggest source of joy is that light. In the land of deep darkness, a light has come. A light has come. And still, there are more places to find joy. So the next one we're going to think about for a minute is joy as a choice. Joy as a choice. Sometimes we don't see that light in a given moment, right? But we can still choose joy. We can still choose to believe that it does exist. Henry Nouwen says that joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. Look at what Paul wrote to the Philippians, from a prison, no less. He says, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. To safeguard your faith. What he's saying is that choosing joy protects us, right? Choosing joy protects us from the brokenness, that would try to break us with it, right? It strengthens us to face those seasons where we have to go looking for God in the places where we doubt he is. Choosing joy strengthens us to do those things, right? And allows us to flourish as the creatures that God designed us to be. Choosing joy reminds us that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. So, Our last one, joy as a gift. Joy as a gift. Now, this is the last one, but maybe it's the first one. Maybe it's really all of them, right? Because let's look at this list of things that bring joy once more. Joy in the good and beautiful things. Joy in victory and triumph. Joy in giving. Joy in unconditional love. Joy in light found in the darkness. Joy is a choice. Joy is a gift. I think we can see how every one of these expressions is a gift from the Father, right? Every good and perfect gift is from the Father because he created all the good and beautiful things, right? He is goodness and beauty. And when we see those good and perfect things, those good and beautiful things we're seeing reflection of him, and it's a gift. And he is the champion of every battle we fight, right? The victory that we're promised, the victory over our brokenness, the coming wholeness, that's his gift. And every victory that we experience on this earth is only a reflection of that one, right? And he is the source of all that we can give away, so any giving from us only comes because he first gave to us right? And he is love. He's the source of love itself. So when we experience those moments of a love so deep that it brings us a joy so profound that we can't even express it, that's a glimpse of the love of the Father. That's a gift of his spirit in us. And he is the light in the darkness. Every time we find ourselves nearly lost in the darkness, Every time it looks like the shifting shadows will obscure the truth that we know, we glimpse the light again. We do. And in that one tiny pinbrick of light, joy is full. So how can it be that just a glimmer of light can bring such joy? Remember, it's because of the truth, of the reality that underscores this one. And those moments of light, gifts. From the Father, right? Even the joy of choice is a gift because when we choose to make that choice, we receive the blessings of God's Spirit, right? We received the gift of His presence and His hope and His peace. When we make a conscious effort to rejoice and to look for the good, our Father blesses us in the choosing. He does, and that's a gift as well. Each of these experiences of joy is a gift from the God of the heavenly lights. So listen to this one for a minute. Pierre de Chardin said, Joy is the infallible sign of the presence of God. Joy is the infallible sign of the presence of God. Yes, yes, this year has been a challenge. As we talked about at the beginning, joy might be the hardest thing to kind of manufacture on our own. But we don't want to manufacture it. It's a gift, right? And when we feel that gift in any of these places or wherever God chooses to bless us with it, it's his presence. That's his presence with us. When we looked at the outline for this series, I knew that I would be taking the joy week. I knew it because I knew the ones that Benjamin and Brett were going to pick, and this was kind of the leftover one, but I also knew it because I knew that I needed to to write it. I needed to take the time with it. I needed to create that space for joy in me. Because I I cannot say that I've lost my joy this year. That would not be true. I think my joy is rooted to a place that can't be shaken. But what I have realized as I went to write this message is that I think I have rejected some joy this year. I think I've rejected some of it. I've resisted some of it. And as I searched my heart I felt like if I really leaned into all these joyful places that I was going to teach about, that somehow it would like invalidate the parts of me that were still hurting. right? That leaning into joy might invalidate my brokenness, or my grief, or my exhaustion. And I, I don't want those things invalidated. I want them comforted, and I want them healed. So I was resisting the reality of this joy that is a gift from God. And I was wrestling because I did not want to give up my burdens in order to receive his joy. But I can tell you, not only to my experience, that God met me in that place with mercy. And he reminded me that he doesn't invalidate pain. That's not what he does. He does comfort it and heal it, which are the things that I'm longing for. But he reminded me that joy can exist right in the midst of those things. That the process of healing and comfort can take time, but that joy can be present right in the midst of it. And I want to remind you guys of the same thing, because I think we might all be feeling that temptation a little bit to resist joy or to reject joy because our burdens are heavy, right? But the truth is that your pain matters to God. And he is at work to comfort you. And he is at work to heal you. But he is also at work right at the same time to bring you joy. And he's inviting you to receive it. He's inviting you to not resist it, but to say yes to it. So Paul writes about this sort of a moment. This sort of a moment of full sorrow, and yet deep joy. And so we're going to read his words out of the message because he says it very beautifully. He says, Companions, as we are in this work with you, we beg you, please don't squander one bit of this marvelous life God has given you. God reminds us, I heard your call in the nick of time. The day you needed me, I was there to help. Well, now is the right time to listen. This is the day to be helped. Don't put it off. Don't frustrate God's work by showing up late or throwing a question mark over everything we're doing. Our work as God's servants gets validated or not in the details. People are watching as we stay at our post, alertly, unswervingly in hard times, in tough times, in bad times, when we're beaten up, jailed, and mobbed, when we're working hard, working late, working without eating, with a pure heart and a clear head and a steady hand, in gentleness, holiness, and honest love, when we're telling the truth and when God's showing his power, when we're doing our best at setting things right, when we're praised and when we're blamed, slandered or honored, true to our word, though distrusted, ignored by the world but recognized by God, terrifically alive, though rumored to be dead, beaten within an inch of our lives but refusing to die, immersed in tears, yet always filled with deep joy, living on handouts yet enriching many having nothing, having it all. This is true joy element. And God offers it to all of us right where we are, right in the midst of anything and everything else going on in our lives. Joy is the infallible sign of the presence of God. And he's here to give it to us today. So the band can come up. We're going to sing one last song about joy. But joy came to the earth in the form of a baby, in a God-made flesh. And when we think of the Christmas story, when we really look at the gift of Jesus, we feel that pang, that inconsolable longing, and then the surge of pure joy. He has come for us. He has come for us. And the Savior that Isaiah prophesied now is with us, God with us, Emmanuel. And this joy that he was saying one day it will come for you, the joy is here. The joy is here. And the baby in the manger came to bring joy in the face of suffering and in the face of darkness and in the places where we love most deeply and in the gifts that we long to give and in the good and beautiful things, and in the victories that we're fighting for and longing for, he came to bring us that joy. So let's pray.